Almost three years ago to the day, I made one of my most important podcast episodes ever called The Singularity of Mold Avoidance. It is free. It's in my free podcast section, not the premium section. If you haven't listened to it already, I highly suggest that you do that. And it's funny because that was a time when the singularity of mold avoidance really shocked me. You know how we all go through that where we think that mold avoidance is just another thing to put on the shelf with all of our supplements and treatments and doctors and tests and everything else. And it takes quite a while for us to realize that mold avoidance is is not just one of the things, but it's the thing. And I'll get to this more in a second. Um, that's what I was going through three years ago was that, that realization that just kind of, you know, takes forever and is very profound. But here's the crazy thing. It's, it's still going. It's still going. Um, I don't know what it is that draws our attention and our instincts away from mold avoidance where we think that after a certain amount of time, mold avoidance isn't what we need anymore. Um, it could be wishful thinking that um, maybe something easier will be the answer, uh, or it could be just some sort of um, human behavior of completion where, you know, when you take a college class, uh, you get to the end of the semester and you're done and you move on. Or maybe even more likely, it is something a little bit more mischievous and dark like mold hold, where eventually the mold and if you don't know what mold hold is, I'm not going to explain it in this podcast because we've gone over it a lot and it's kind of hard to balance an audience of people who know what some stuff is and don't know what some stuff is. Um, mold hold is just where the mold itself in your body sort of wants to keep you stuck and keep you sick. Um, that's It's such an irrational position to think that um, we move on from mold avoidance that it must just be something like mold hold. But we got to get into this a little bit because th there's a lot of questions and red sirens and stuff going off in your mind. I can see it right now. Um, first of all, this doesn't mean that we can't expand the cities and the locations where we spend time later in mold avoidance. In fact, the whole core concept of mold avoidance is that you go through this period of intensification where you need to get more and more and more and more and more clear and then more and more and more clear and then stay clear for a really long time until you cross over some line where you don't need to be as clear anymore. And that can be described as um, the peak of mold reactivity or the end of intensification, however you want to describe it. I visualized it in one graphic that I created, like a little illustration with someone pushing a stone ball up a hill and then they get to the top and then the ball starts rolling down the other side, right? Like eventually you do push through to the other side of that. So it isn't that mold avoidance is always as hard and doesn't get better. It's that locations effect <clears throat> is the mediating factor. It's, it's the thing. It's the singularity of mold avoidance. So I'm going to call this podcast episode, the singularity of mold avoidance part two. And that's a pretty pretty daring, brave, ballsy name to use because the singularity of mold avoidance was such a key podcast episode that do I really dare make a part two? You know, it's like when 
when you um, have a great movie and then they make the sequel and the sequel sucks and it kind of ruins the first movie because you're like, they should have just left it alone, right? They should not have made a sequel. Well, you can be the judge, but I do think this is worth a sequel. So what we're saying here is not that you can't push the envelope on locations later on. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that locations is the mediating central factor. And here's what I think is so interesting about this. This is sort of a new way to frame supportive treatments, right? Because you can you can sort of look at supportive treatments like ozone or parasite treatment or antivirals or whatever, and it's sort of hard to conceptualize this. Like, is mold avoidance something that supports the treatments or do the treatments support mold avoidance. And I know this may sound like semantics and syntax and a bunch of goofy, nerdy stuff, but I think it'll go somewhere that's worth going. So what I have found is that all of the treatments are sort of in orbit around mold avoidance. Like mold avoidance is the sun and all of the treatments are like planets orbiting the sun, right? And it, it takes you a while to realize this because we all just are brainwashed to thinking that our favorite supplements or our favorite treatments eventually are going to come back into play, right? Like those little buddies are going to be back in our backyard playing with us. They're going to be our friends again. Sorry about the goofy, silly uh, analogy, but it's almost midnight and that's where my brain is. Um, so it, it's it's important to conceptualize this in the right way because the mediating factor, the limiting, the rate limiting factor is locations effect. Now, the treatments help you to lower your reactivity so that you can tolerate more locations. So at the end of the day, the treatments are in support of mold avoidance. Mold avoidance isn't really in support of the treatments. And maybe, maybe you could do enough treatments that you don't react to mold anymore at all. And you can do live however you want. I do think that's possible. There may be some people who are just not that sick and they can do enough mold avoidance and enough natural detox or enough treatments such that they their reactivity totally goes away and they don't need to do much mold avoidance anymore. Probably they still need to do some. They probably can't live in a terribly moldy house. But that doesn't change the rules of the game. That doesn't mean that mold avoidance wasn't the mediating factor, right? That just means that they got themselves to a place high enough on the power curve, recovered enough that their body didn't need enough, as much mold avoidance, right? So it's still the same end conclusion. Now, another distinction needs to be made here, and that is that we are talking about the locations effect at the end of the day. Um, it's important to bring that up because when you are in the thick of mold avoidance, it becomes very easy to get distracted by other aspects of mold avoidance, like cross-contamination or secondary toxins that are not related to the location's effect, um, like, you know, clothing or, um, you know, all this other stuff, bedding, laundry, objects. It, it in That stuff does matter because when you are in the thick of mold avoidance and, you're, and your body's not as far along, you actually might need to get rid of a lot of cross-contamination to really get clear enough to kickstart that healing process, right? I mean, we, we Eric talked about this sort of prefer, proverbial, you know, wisdom, philosophical wisdom of some people are so sick that they need 
a tent in the desert to detox. And that might not be a literal tent in the desert where, where you actually have to be in a tent in the desert, but, but it's the point of what it means. It just basically means that some people might need to get a lot more clear than they might realize or think or guess or the doctor says or whatever to the point where, you know, their detox switch is so stuck. And we already know that location is what activates detox. If you listen to my other podcast episodes, if you don't know that, then you're way behind and you need to go do all the homework and catch up. Um, so it, it's, it's, it can be important to manage cross-contamination. It absolutely is important, especially for the, the super toxins that contaminate really badly that a lot of people, unfortunately, are wrestling with and trying to get free of early on. But when you get past all of that, at the end of the day, it's location, right? And this is what you'll hear experienced mold avoiders talk about is that they no longer really decontaminate. They no longer really, you know, deal with a lot of cross-contamination or stuff like that. They just, they just manage their location. And yes, it's true that they're probably so skilled and so used to mold avoidance now that they don't really even go to bad locations at all. Um, and so, or really, really bad, you know, horrible, worst locations possible. So of course that does come into play. They, they, they don't need to, to manage it as much because they're not bringing in as much bad stuff, but still the point stands that at the end of the day, everything is a distraction besides location. Location is what does the heavy lifting. I remember and see that this, what, what's so interesting about this is this is like novel groundbreaking stuff that takes even the smartest people a really long time to wrap their mind around. I remember when one of my mentors told me, um, location, 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 get to a good location and everything else will take care of itself. That was so mind boggling to me that even like one to two years into mold avoidance, I still couldn't wrap my mind around it. It's, it's not that I'm dumb. It's not that you're dumb. It's just that it's the paradigm change is so beyond anything we're used to. Um, it's just a huge, you know, learning curve to get your mind around some of this stuff. So I remember when I was told that, you know, location is what matters. And, and there can be some confusing elements to that because when you get to a better location, a really good pristine location, you become more unmasked and you might realize that, oh, my RV or my car or my shirt or my jacket feels really, really bad, right? And you might be more interested in doing even more mold avoidance because you're more clear and your body's at a deeper level of detox. So you might say, Hey, Brian, um, actually when I got to this really good location, I actually became more reactive to my shirt and my jacket. So I had to get rid of those. So how can you say, Brian, that, um, location is the main thing because really my jacket turned into the main thing. Yes, it is true. But location is still higher on the hierarchy because the location is what triggered your deeper detox and your deeper healing. And in order to continue the deeper healing, your body intuitively in its wisdom and its healing powers told you, Hey, by the way, this jacket or this thing is causing you to be held back in your healing. So you need to get rid of it. Right? So, um, it's, it still boils down to location and I'm throwing in a lot of these caveats and, uh, disclaimers and like just trying to cover all these little bases that I'm, you know, anticipating beginners or, you know, people who don't know all this stuff will ask or will say, um, you know, that their jacket became intolerant, intolerable when they're in a good location, whatever. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of feel my way through this. There's probably 50 other things that I, that I didn't mention or that, that are, you know, questions, initial questions. So it's, it's kind of a balance because you don't want to 
make a two-hour podcast episode and hit every possible question or or thing but you also kind of want to cover your tracks a little bit as you go along and um and you know give some uh, full picture scenario so we are now talking about um locations effect and how that is sort of the bottom of the barrel that's the bottom now i know that people are going to say well if you fixed your genetics or if you had some magical treatment, couldn't you just heal mold illness so much so that you, you didn't need locations effect anymore? In other words, pedantic, right? Pedantic reasoning um, or sort of a perfectionist black and white idealistic magical thinking would say that, that, that probably mold avoidance is not the bottom layer. And there's something deeper like genetics or some stealth infection or something that um, we just can't put our finger on. And that may be true, but in practice, it's it's really not true. And it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite movies called Waterworld with Kevin Costner. You either love it or you hate it. You talk to some people who are like, oh my gosh, this is the worst movie ever. And other people are like, oh, it was the best movie ever. And for me, it was the best movie ever. <laughs> um, it by the, by the way, when Waterworld was made... It was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. I don't know if there's been, you know, more or less expensive since then, adjusted for inflation, whatever. But um, it kind of reminds me of a line from that movie that I love and I keep coming back to. And it's where they're looking for dry land because the whole problem with that world is that it's covered in water. But everybody knows that dry land kind of might be out there. They, they know, oh, we're not meant to swim. We don't have gills, right? We're, we're people. We should walk on land. So um, Kevin Costner's kind of traveling companion, this woman, says, dry land's out there. I know it. It's, you know, it's got to be out there. Um, and, he sa- and he says, it's not out there. And she says, how do you know? And he says, because I've sailed further than most people have dreamed. I love that line on so many levels. I've sailed further than most people have dreamed, meaning he's explored just about everywhere and it's not out there. And at the end of the movie, they do actually end up finding dry land. So it actually is out there, but it took a lot more. It was really, really hard. So I think that's a good analogy for, you know, is there something deeper than the locations effect? Maybe, but we haven't found it yet. It's, it's like the dry land that they haven't found yet. And, and again, that's not to say that treatments can't help, right? Like, you know, do all the genetic treatments you want, do all the methylation and the infection treating and parasites. I think parasites is probably pretty close to the bottom of the barrel that is the layer above locations effect, the, the, the bigger main thing. I, all this stuff is great, right? It's, it's fine. And if you're new to my podcast, please listen to the rest of the episodes that say that you shouldn't actually try these treatments too soon in mold avoidance. And it explains why, but that's a story for another day. So um, this isn't to say that the treatments are bad and that they can't help or they can't get you to react less. It's just to say that at the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the rabbit hole is this locations effect, this locations effect thing that uh, controls detox and regulates detox and, and allows a person to detox. This is sort of the key, the, the key concept in mold avoidance, right? This is sort of what makes this approach to mold avoidance. If, if you're wondering, if this is the first podcast episode you've ever listened to for me and you still don't really get it because none of us got it. It's just weird, right? This whole mold avoidance thing is really weird. And you're like, what, what makes this tick? What is this all about? 
um, that's what it's about. It's about this thing called the locations effect where the body will refuse to detox unless you're in a good enough location. And when you all, when you are in that good location, all of a sudden everything lets loose and you detox easily and you don't even need all the saunas and all that stuff. In fact, some of that stuff actually gets in the way and all those supplements that you thought you needed get in the way. I remember thinking there were certain supplements that I held onto with an iron grip and eventually like two or three years in mold avoidance, I woke up and I was like, these are actually hurting me. These are actually not good for me. And I've talked to a lot of other mold avoiders who, who have had that happen too. So why are we talking about this? Why don't we um, just use the first singularity of mold avoidance podcast as the main podcast? Why do we need a part two? Well, because at five to six years into mold avoidance where I am right now, I just want to share that it is still more true than ever that the locations effect is at the bottom of the barrel and everything you do just interacts with that mediating factor. You might do a treatment. Great. It lowers your reactivity. You can tolerate more locations. Um, you might do an herbal cleanse like that Tudka stuff, T-U-D-C-A, which is like this amino acid that really helps the, the liver detox and great and it clears your liver out and now you can tolerate more locations or you get your amalgams out or whatever. But that's just impacting um, the locations effect. It kind of is like downhill skiing. Where I grew up, downhill skiing was the sport that everybody did. It was in Lake Tahoe, you know, the, the snow sport. It was, it, I had some friends that went to the Olympics. They were on national TV and they did all of these things to tweak their downhill ski run. Like they would wax their skis and try a different pair of skis and this, that little techniques, you know, change how they stand, change how they turn all this stuff. So they'd get down to the bottom of the hill and 0.01 seconds faster. That's like all of the things that we do this is a great analogy. See, even though it's like my, I'm basically falling asleep because it's so late. Um, I'm that I think that's a great, that's a great analogy is, is that, you know, you can tweak everything really well to where you can ski down the hill much faster, meaning that you can tolerate a lot more locations. That's the goal. Do the parasite treatments, do the cleanses, do whatever. So you can tolerate a lot more locations. Um, the reason this is so important is because you have to obey the locations effect. For person A, this might mean that they can tolerate just about everywhere because they're not that sick and they got rid of their parasites and they're fine. And for person B, it might mean, oh no, they're still in this intensification phase and they can't get out of it, they're stuck, whatever. You always have to obey the locations effect and it's okay to ask, why am I stuck you know, why can't I, um, get into a, into a slightly worse location and still do okay. And that's okay to ask that. Maybe it's this, that metals, parasites, whatever. It, it's fine to ask that. And people should be asking that, but the locations effect and the singularity of that locations effect being what matters the most doesn't go away just because you all of a sudden want to treat parasites or something like that. And this is, sort of a, uh, a process where, you know, you, you're in intensification in the first year or two or three, your body is craving getting more and more and more clear. And you're like, wait a minute, I was just in this city that felt good to me two months ago. 
and it doesn't feel good to me anymore. Well, that's normal. One of my mentors told me that their mold reactivity actually peaked, reached its highest point at like two to three years into mold avoidance. So in other words, for those whole two to three years, they were wanting to get more clear, not less, right? And then after intensification peaks, then they were able to go to less good locations. And so um, this is the arc, the overall storyline of recovery in mold avoidance. It happened to me. I remember about, let's see, how long would it have been? About a year and a half into mold avoidance, all of a sudden, I, I was just so alarmed by the fact that I needed so many better, so, such a better location. I was like, I can't believe it. These places that used to feel good, I need to get more clear, more clear, more clear. And if you read some of my older, and by the way, I apologize. This podcast is sort of just a rambling line of thought, but I think it's, I think it, it, it'll help. If you're new to the podcast, it will help you understand what the core message is in mold avoidance, this locations effect and intensification. And if you're a regular here and you've heard a lot of my other episode, episodes, this will be a reminder that um, that you need to still focus on location. And, and probably a lot of the other problems you're trying to solve go back to location. And I'll end with uh, an interesting story that some of you guys may have heard, but this was... This was um, probably one of the best illustrations of how this plays out. Uh, 10 pass ozone is a treatment that's really helped me a lot throughout my mold avoidance. And it might not help you. Everybody sort of needs to find their treatment. And they are quite different because the surface layer problems that mold avoiders deal with, which infections they have, are they viruses, are they bacteria, which, which metals do you have, mineral imbalances, those can be different from person to person. They're not the same. So it's kind of confusing, right? Because at the at the core of it all is this this mold avoidance thing, and we it's all the same super toxins basically for everybody. But on the surface, there's all these little bop the weasel things that might be different. So for me, ozone was one of the things that helped me the most. And if you've heard the story before, you probably still want to hang around because you might get something new out of it since it, it was really profound. So I remember um, talking to a Lyme disease sufferer who got ozone treatment and they were like, this is horrible. It made me more reactive to mold. It made me more reactive to mold. I'm never doing it again. And I remember thinking like, that just doesn't sound right to me. Something's wrong with that statement. And then it was confirmed with the story that I'm about to tell. So I think it was about a year and a half into mold avoidance. I went down to to, uh, Southern California to see my ozone doctor who I had seen several times before. I had probably had 20 to 30 10 passes by this point. And again, don't just run out and get a 10 pass because Brian said he it helped him. I would say probably only 10 to 20% of mold avoiders I talk to really find the 10 pass to be all that profound. It's sort of individual to me. Um, one of my chronic health problems that was probably precipitated by mold is high iron levels. I, my dad has this condition called hemochromatosis, where you have too much iron in the body. It's like the opposite of anemia, where you have too little iron. I have hemochromatosis too. And um, my ozone doctor also was recovering from a severe life-threatening case of hemochromatosis. So this just might be one idiosyncrasy that was important for me. So you don't need to go out and get 10-pass ozone right now. You need to figure out what your magic treatment is, and it might not be the same as mine. Um, One of my mentors... 
loves coffee enemas. It's like the best thing. It's magical. It's great. They don't really work for me. They don't really help me. I don't really feel that much better. I've tried a lot of them. I probably could try them again. It's been a while, but it never was a magical treatment. Ozone was my magical treatment and still is. So the story, I'm kind of on a little rabbit trail here, but the story is that um, I was starting to kind of feel sick, sick. And I just, I could tell that I needed ozone. So I go, I go, I gather my stuff, get in my RV. I go down to, um, Southern California and I, I start getting ozone and I, I, I usually but early in recovery like this, I needed like five or six, 10 pass sessions to break through and feel like I was really just on the other side of things. That's a lot five or six, not five or six passes, five or six, 10 pass sessions. So that's like 60 passes of ozone, right? Five or six sessions. It was a lot. It was draining my bank account. Ozone 10 passes, not cheap. So I go down there, I do, you know, ozone session, number one, number two, number three. And I, and I hit like the breakthrough at number five, boom, I break through and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is miraculous. I feel so much better. But simultaneously, as I felt better I mean, a lot better, like just mentally, physically, emotionally, everything was just like, it was like miraculous. And you know, it's funny, I almost gave up at five, 10 passes on this trip to SoCal. I was like, oh, it's not working. I'm home, poor me. What am I going to do? I'm going to die. You know, so I got to like the fifth 10 pass and, um, and I, and, and thankfully I did a sixth one and, and that was the magical one, the sixth one. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did a sixth one because this was crazy that it, that it took six. Like what happened between five and six? Who knows? It's a mystery. But here's the thing. It did not make me less in need of mold avoidance. In fact, it made me more driven to do mold avoidance because at the same time that I did that sixth 10 pass, I also became much more unmasked much deeper into intensification and much more desirous of a clear location. And so isn't that interesting? If you didn't know everything that I've said in this podcast tonight, you would be like that Lyme disease sufferer who I talked to who said, oh, I'm never doing ozone because um, it made me more reactive to mold, right? You would think I, it was kind of terrifying to me because these locations that I had felt okay in before all of a sudden didn't feel that great. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done to myself? I'm ruined. I've got to, you know, get, get to a more clear location. Oh, it's horrible. Right. So there's a lot of like confusing emotional stuff. That's why I think it's worth having this episode called the singularity of mold avoidance part two, because I think there's just more to unpack here. So, um, what I know now is that that actually was helping me weird, huh? It was helping me drove me deeper into detox deeper into intensification and I did seek out a more clear location and I did in mold reactivity did get more intense for me for a while for like a year or two and and the only reason I wouldn't panic and freak out about this happening is because my mentors had told me that yeah this happens it mold reactivity doesn't peak it doesn't max to hit its maximum until several two three years in so to make a long story short um it, it eventually hit a point where, you know, a couple years later, where doing ozone had the opposite effect. And it actually would, would, instead of making me need to seek out more clear locations, it made me more tolerant of bad locations. Isn't that interesting? Um, it, the two, rewind two years to the story that I just told, and ozone made me 
crave better locations and be less tolerant of locations. And then two years later, it did the opposite and it made me um, be okay with worse locations. And again, I want to put an important disclaimer in here that um, your magic treatment might not be ozone. There might be something completely different that does the same thing for you, like antiviral treatments. I've actually heard uh, a mold avoider talk about antiviral pharmaceutical pills that did this for them. It, it first increased their mold reactivity and then later their mold reactivity dropped below baseline and got lower, right? So it, it's, this is very important, very important that it's not the ozone that we're talking about here. It's just whatever fill in the blank thing helps you along to instigate or catalyze I like the word catalyze, to catalyze this process. And you might not even need a treatment. A location's effect itself might be enough for you. See what I mean? This is a perfect example of how a treatment orbits mold avoidance and not vice versa. If you didn't know what was going on with my mold avoidance, if you didn't know that I was deepening my intensification up to a certain point and then I was, the ball was going to roll down the other side of the mountain when I reached the peak and then I'd be able to, you know, leave intensification behind, then the ozone thing would make no sense. It would make no sense. So you have to view everything through the perspective of locations effect and intensification. This calibrates your decisions and your awareness of what's going on. It's the same reason why if you take a parasite medication and it all of a sudden makes you want to go to a better location and you're like, dang, that sucks. I thought that this parasite medication would make me more tolerant of, um, of worse locations. That means that you're still on the uphill side of intensification. And you might take that same parasite med out of the same bottle, the same expiration date, the same pills two years later, and it does the opposite. You're like, oh, wow, now that I took this parasite pill, you know, I can go in, um, more stores, more moldy buildings, more moldy locations, whatever it might be. And, and this process isn't so binary. You know, some days you might be rolling the rock up the hill. Some days it might roll down. It's like rolling hills, right? It's like rolling hills with a summit and then rolling hills back down to the valley. So this is calibrating and framing and, and uh, giving us a perspective on the recovery process that I think is really important. And that's why we call it the singularity of mold avoidance. That's why I call it the singularity of mold avoidance because... Um, it, and, and it doesn't go away. You know, now things are so different for my body. It's almost unfathomable, really. I remember um, my mentor telling me stuff like, oh, you know, in a year or two, things will be so different for you with that. I would be lamenting some problem or challenge and 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 I was told like, oh, that, that, that you don't even remember that in a year or two. And that was just unfathomable to me that the body would change, right? Because we don't think mold avoidance will really work and change our body at a core level. We think it'll just be like some other stupid failed treatment that we've done for 20 years that works for a day or two or a week or a month and then it stops working. So I was like, what? What do you mean? And now it's like totally true. Like things are so different than they were. So I think that understanding and even being reminded that there's such a thing as the singularity of mold avoidance and it's sort of the guiding principle that you're looking for is like being in a ship. You know, that's saying any port in the storm 
you're you're in a ship and you're tossed around by waves and it's nighttime and you're looking for for the shore and you're like oh my gosh are, you know are we going to smash against the rocks it's dark it's raining i'm in my my boat and the locations effect and the singularity of mold avoidance and an understanding of intensification is like the lighthouse that guides you through the storm it's really important to have that you know imagine if you're looking at the lighthouse it's a beacon on the shore you're you're driving your boat toward the lighthouse you're everything's good you you know where to go and all of a sudden the light turns off the lighthouse electricity goes out you're screwed. Like that's not a small problem. Now you have no, and, and of course we're assuming this is like an old fashioned boat without GPS, whatever. Like you, you're, it's over. It's game over. You're lost at sea. You're literally lost at sea. And this is why, you know, that lost at sea analogy applies in so many ways to the process of mold avoidance to, to where people go wrong and they waste their time, money, and resources on aspects of mold avoidance that don't really matter. Um, and this is again, why it's just so important to have a mentor because there are a lot of places where this pops up and, and it's kind of, it's kind of confusing. It, it popped up for me a lot of times. I won't list them all cause we're getting into thir- 35 minutes here. And you know, I always say I could talk for two hours, three hours, and that's just dumb. I don't want to make a three hour podcast and you don't want to listen to one. So let's just say that there's a hundred or 500 ways to get lost at sea, right? And so the lighthouse is a deepening understanding, not just of what intensification is, not just of what the locations effect is, but that they are singular in the recovery process and basically everything else orbits around them. And maybe one day we'll be like the water world, guy Kevin Costner who finds dry land and that and will achieve that and and then you can make fun of my podcast and be like Brian said it was just the locations effect he's such an idiot we found out that it was you know when we're when we're you know in the year 2500 and Captain Kirk has his little body scanner and we figured out that it was really this that or the other thing and we don't need locations effect anymore okay great then we will cross that bridge when we get there you can delete my podcast. It won't hurt my feelings. I'll delete it too. Um, but for right now, um, it doesn't exist. And, I, and I've sailed further than most have dreamed. And I'm not really just talking about me because I stand on the shoulders of giants who came before me. You know, pretty much everything I say in my podcast is stuff that I learned from, from mentors. It's not my own ideas. So we have, they have, the mentors have, Eric, who invented mold avoidance, has sailed further than most have dreamed, and there is no dry land. Uh, gosh, that's kind of depressing to think about it that way, that we're stuck at sea and there's no dry land, so please don't let that ruffle your feathers too much. Don't let it trigger you. It's such a, you know, I saw a funny tweet today uh, where one of my favorite content creators said, I didn't trigger you. You're just overly sensitive. I love that because that's the way our society is so much right now, right? Like everything offends everyone. And I think it's all just kind of a grand scheme to, for the elites and the government to try to divide us and keep us under control, right? Because if we're squabbling and bickering over gender issues and racial issues and this, that, and the other, and we're mad at each other over, over the Barbie movie and over every possible thing, then we're pretty easy to control because we're not a united um, society. So anyway, boy, that's really off topic. It's, it's, it's probably time to, to call this quits. Don't you think? Are you ready to be done? Um, so 
So that's the message for tonight. And I hope you get something out of this. You're either reminded of some truths that you already knew, because I've, you know, lots of people have talked about this before, or uh, some light bulbs went off in your head and, and some new stuff was was shared. Um, but I, I just, I will, I'll, I'll close on this note. I do think for whatever reason, it's easy to start to think that the locations effect is something that we just do, we use, and then we move on with life. And, and we, we don't have to think about it anymore. And I think there might be some mold hold in that, some of that mold mind control that wants us to stay in mold and kind of steers us away. Kind of like the alcoholic just accidentally pulls back to the bar and orders six beers. He's like, how did that happen? I just somehow got here, right? It's like, it's like that's how it feels to me when I forget how important the locations effect is, even in my stage of recovery. And, and it's not that I can't tolerate worse locations. I can. My tolerance is, is getting better. It's just that that's still the mediating factor. You see what I'm saying? So how do you end this podcast? I'm not finding a clear conclusion paragraph at 12, 16 a.m. So you'll have to forgive me. I'm just going to end it. So thanks for listening, guys. And uh, just my normal disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. Nothing I say in this podcast should be construed as medical advice. If you have a health problem, please see a licensed physician. Uh, Everything I talk about in my podcast is just my own informal, non-professional personal experiences and observations. They should be treated as such and not treated as professional advice. Hope you guys have a good night.